The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. For more information on Story City, go to storycitychurch.com. Amen. Good morning. Well, if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn it to 1 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 8 this morning. I promise I'm going to preach a very short message this morning, all right? Um, how many of you guys grew up with Winnie the Pooh? Anybody grew up with Winnie the Pooh? All right, it's child dedication morning. Uh, I find Winnie the Pooh to be quite a strange character for a lot of reasons, but uh, none the least of which it seems strange that we would posture towards a child that you can attract a bear with honey, right? That seems weird to me. I, was, um, I found this report on the internet several years ago. NPR had a news report of um, a, a ranger in a park who was telling um, about how they were having difficulty in the parks because people didn't know how to function in the wild, in the wilderness. Uh, anybody listen to NPR, by the way? Okay, some of you guys. It's a bit sedate for me, but I do listen to it twice a week when I'm coming to church and when I'm leaving church, and I don't know why, but I do, okay? And so the NPR report is talking about, they're interviewing this, uh, this park ranger and he's talking about the difficulties they're having in the national parks because people just don't know how to function in the wild. And he goes on to narrate this story about a family who smeared honey all over their kid's face. Uh, you're not laughing, it's really not funny, probably. Smeared honey all over their kid's face because they thought it would attract a bear and it would be cute and they could take a cute picture with a bear. And I don't need to tell you the rest of the story, but the interview ended with the park ranger in tears telling what happened to the child. And I find that strange. I find it, I find, I find it strange. Like, like, have you ever heard the saying, um, you attract more flies with honey than you do with vinegar? Um, so the natural question to me is, well, why would you want to attract bears and why would you want to attract fl- flies in the first place, right? Like, like, what's even the point of attracting a bear or a fly? But I think the point is meant that you, uh, with a sweeter countenance and a, and a sweeter approach, we're able to accomplish the things that we need to accomplish rather than being mean and cantankerous. Proverbs 16, 24 says, gracious words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. I don't know how kind of week you had. Um, it's been an interesting week. And uh, um, I honestly have had to make a conscious decision to stay off of social media. Um, and, and so I'm grateful that the Lord has brought us to this passage this week. By the way, again, if you're new this morning, I want you to understand that we just don't randomly pick what we're going to preach on from week to week. Um, it just so happens in this series, we're going through the book of First Peter, and the Spirit of God has supernaturally brought us to this place, and I think it's very applicable to us post-election 2016. So up until this point, for the last 21 verses preceding 1 Peter 3, verse 8, Peter has spoken to believers and he's instructing them on how to live in the presence of unbelievers. And he's reminding them, if you have been with us for several weeks now, this is week five of the series, you know the context in that Peter is speaking to a group of believers who have been dispersed throughout Asia Minor and they're experiencing persecution that's happening in the Roman Empire. And Peter is writing for the last 21 verses and he's saying, be mindful, be mindful. In fact, your conduct should be in such a way 
that it causes those who are your enemies to be attracted to you. And so he's talked about three different spheres of social interaction. One, he talked about government. We talked about that last week. Um, after he talked about government, he talked about how you should interact in your job. We chose not to take on that passage. And then in the first seven verses in chapter three, Peter talks about how we interact in the home. So government, job, home. And now Peter has made his way to discuss how we as believers should interact with one another in the church. And so if you're wondering, what does it have to do with how we live among outsiders and unbelievers and those who are not in the church, I'd just like to remind you, uh, we don't often think of it like this, and, and, and hopefully this is sort of a good thing in some ways. We don't often think of ourselves as the church and the unchurched, but I want to say to you, many people in our country do. In fact, if you paid attention to the elections, there was a, there was a significant push to pay attention to what evangelicals thought. And so in the midst of all that, Peter is saying the outside world is watching how we interact. And so because they are doing so, way back in chapter 2, Peter says, let your conduct be such that it attracts those who are outside of the faith. I believe it's a good instruction for us this morning as to how the church should respond to each other, how we should feel towards each other when we think differently, and not only how we should feel, but also how we should act towards each other. Well, we won't make it to verse 10, 11, and 12, but Peter will then say, and this is the motivation for why we feel and why we act like we do. So let me read. If you have a Bible, turn it on. Turn it to 1 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 8, and this is what Peter says. Finally, all of you, and he's talking to the church, he's meaning us, and if we were to say it this morning, he would say, if we were talking specifically in our context, finally, Story City Church, if we were talking about the church in LA, he would say, and finally, to the church broadly in LA, finally, all of you, here's what he says, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate, and Humble. Verse 9, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because of this, you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you for your word. You're good to us. God, may the word speak deeply and, and, and convictionally to us this morning. God, we're not obligated. We do so and listen with ears. God, with a glad heart and open ears this morning because we need you to speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. So let me just jump right into it, okay? So in verse eight, Peter is gonna give us five words to, to, that really describe their really describe as much uh, as a feeling as it is an action. And, and Peter, again, is talking to the church. And Peter has in view that, that whether it's the church or whether it's outside the church, we're being pressed in on. And so the context is conflict. The context is differences. The context is different thoughts, different opinions, different actions. And so regardless of whether it's in the church or outside the church, Peter says, this is how you should feel. This is how you should think. The first word he uses is like 
minded. So I have a question. Is it possible for all of us to think the same? Um, I know in the church, um, and we are one of those, um, we don't require all of us to think the same about some things. We have what we call essentials. Those essentials are the person and work of Jesus, the authority of Scripture, the nature of God, how a person comes to faith in Jesus. We have some essentials that we say, if ultimately you're going to covenant with us as a member of Story City Church, which we're going to unroll out next next year. Um, If you're ultimately going to covenant with us as a member, these are things we must, these are essentials. But beyond that, we don't just say, if you don't agree with these essentials, you can't be, we we say, we invite you. You can still be a part of it. You just can't covenant as a member with us. And we call those things that you may not agree with us, non-essentials. And those things may be something like um, the baptism of an infant. We don't baptize infants. It may be how you think about the gifts of the Spirit, whether you're charismatic or not. Um, and so there's some non-essentials that, we, that we, we give charity towards, but there are essentials that we have to have unity in. And we don't dispel people when there are differences. We give charity. Now, 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 just beyond theological ideas, just beyond theological ideas, um, if this morning we were to take a poll and we were to say, where do you fit in the arena and the spectrum of politics? I'm confident that in this room, we would fill both sides of the spectrum. If we had a discussion this morning and we sat across a table and we said, um, what, do you believe, what types of music do you believe is appropriate for a Christian to listen to? There would people, be people on both sides of the table. What type of movies do you believe Christians should watch? There would be people on both sides of the table. I have an actor friend who regularly debates in his mind, and we have these conversations often, like what types of commercials and movies and films should I as a Christian participate in, and what types of movies and commercials and films should I as a Christian actor not participate in? I'm confident this morning that there are conversations around politics and music and movies and all of these things that we would, that we would be um, not necessarily agree upon, but the scripture calls us to unity, not uniformity. Uniformity means we all think alike. Um, that's not what scripture calls us to. Scripture calls us to unity, not necessarily uniformity, and in the process of doing so, there is charity when we don't think alike. Jesus prayed a prayer like this for unity. He said, um, he said I pray that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus didn't say, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you're a Republican, if you're a Democrat, if you're libertarian, if you're premillennial, if you're Baptistic, if you're fundamental. But he said, by this, all men will know that you love me, that you are my disciples if you love one another. Do you know there's no challenge in this body this morning? If all of us think alike, there's no challenge to love each other. Like it's easy to love each other if there is no disagreement in this room. Like love comes easy when we all think alike and we're all the same. The challenge to love, which by the way, these five ideas can all be summed up with the idea of love. The challenge comes when we think differently. And again, keep in mind, theologically, we have essentials, but we also have non-essentials and we also have ideas that we simply disagree on. Now you put that in the context of this week. (laughs) 
Put that in the context of how you voted and how somebody else on your Facebook feed in this church voted. And you put that into context and see what God would say to you. I pray that you would be like-minded. I kid you not. I, I kid you not. There, I'm confident this morning there are people that are not, not only in this church, but other churches because of something you posted or I posted this week that they disagreed with and they consciously said, and, and whether they used the term or not, probably not, I choose not to be like-minded with those people. I believe it's contextual this morning for us that Peter would tell us to be like-minded in the context of this week. The second word that Peter uses is sympathetic. Sympathetic is a word that, that's, that's composed of two different words, pathos, which, which ultimately means to feel or to have an emotion or to hurt. The second word is some, which means together. So the meaning of sympathy in this context is that we feel an emotion or we hurt together. I share your sorrow. I bear your burden. I, I, I share in your joy. By the way, that's what the rest of Scripture would command us. Galatians 6, 2, bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. Romans 12, 15, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. 1 Corinthians 12, 26, and if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. That's feeling what others feel so you can respond with sensitivity to the need. Now, the church globally, not just Story City, but the church globally gets a bad rap sometimes when people will say, I had this in my life and the church didn't care for me. Let me say two things. Number one, shame on the church that doesn't care for those people in their church that have needs. And, and I don't want to use the same word because this is personal to you this morning. But, but, but we should be conscious in our mind. If the church doesn't know us, then they don't know our needs. And I say that by way of saying that's the reason why we have community groups in our church. Tomorrow morning, there's a lady in our church. I don't think she's here this morning. She has surgery in West Hollywood. It's a four or five hour surgery. Tomorrow is my day off, but I've committed to her that I'm going to be there and share in her joy and share in her sorrow and bear her burden in the moment. This week, we had a family who had a baby and they're in one of our community groups. I want to say to you, if you're, if you're a family who's recently had a baby in one of our community groups, you know that we've rallied around you. We've prepared meals. We've come to the hospital. We've taken your kids at our house whenever you had to go to the hospital. And sometimes when you didn't make it to the hospital and you just had it on the side of the street. I mean, you know that in the context of community, we share each other's burdens, we exalt in each other's joys, and we are sorrowful when you have sorrow. That's what the scripture calls us to this morning. I don't mean to just continue to harp on the context that we're in, but let's be honest this morning. There are some people in our church, by the way, I think most of our country is not extraordinarily exuberant about, I don't know if that's a word, extraordinarily happy about what's happened this week, whether you, however you voted. But there are people in our church that we need to feel sympathy with and sorrow with because there is a moment in their life that requires us to step in, to have compassion. That's feeling together. 
The third word that Peter uses is to love one another. The better translation is that we love one another as brothers would. Now, this is Peter writing the book here. I'm wondering if you know the New Testament. I'm wondering if Peter had in mind his brother Andrew. And if you know the story, Andrew was the one who brought Peter to Jesus. And he's saying, love one another as a brother would. His brother loved him so much that he brought him to Jesus. I have a sister who's five years younger than me. She has twins and another baby boy. When we were kids, we fought about a million different things, right? We fought about uh, whether you got more Christmas presents than I did. We fought about whether mom loved you more than she loved me. And of course, she loved me more than she loved you, but I still love you. And we fought about a million things, but can I say to you this morning, I also not only just fought with her, let me tell you, I fought for my sister. She got picked on in school. Can I tell you what happened? I got called to the principal's office because I took the boy who picked on her out behind the woodshed. So, so, what, so, what, so what Peter is saying Peter is saying, don't view each other as strangers or just acquaintances or distant relatives. View each other as close family. And by the way, Jesus said, this is a mark of salvation. In John, 1 John 3, 14, we know that we have passed from death into life because we love our brothers. How can an unbelieving world know that we love them if we don't love each other? And if you need... Some notes on that. We did, went through the book of 1 John, and there's a podcast maybe on it somewhere. He says, love one another. The fourth word that Peter says, uses, is compassionate. It's an interesting word. Um, the original Greek here means your intestines. It means uh, your kidneys. It means your guts. It means your heart. It means your liver. It's not really a word about conduct. It's a word about your insides. Literally, it's a word that has reference to your innards, your belly, if you will. And the Greek here uh, has the meaning. Um, it proposes to us to, that we should have good bowels. <laughs> God bless you. Be well disposed to each other in the deep parts of who you are. The ancient world believed that the deepest seat of our emotions would be in the intestinal region, but we still have this idea today, right? Like we say it often, what does your gut tell you? Like, like what, what is your gut saying? You know this by experience too. If I were to invite, if I just call on somebody in the room this morning and I just pointed to you in the moment with no preparation and said, you, come on stage and give us a testimony of your faith and what God's done in your life. Can I say how most of us would feel because public speaking is the greatest fear outside of a couple other things in life. You would either feel butterflies or you would want to barf in your seat right now, right? Coming from your stomach, coming from your belly. Peter is saying, have good bowels in the deepest parts of your feeling. Be deeply concerned for one another. I had a mentor in seminary who said that the church should be a hospital for sinners, not a hotel for saints. I love that thought. I really do. And quite honestly, it's a debated thought in theological circles about uh, we call it ecclesiology and what the church is and what it should not be. But I resonate with the thought that a church should be a hospital for sinners, not a hotel for saints. I remember being in a church service one time, and I remember this lady walking by. She had really tight clothes on. And I remember she walked by. I, I remember watching people around who watched her walk by. I remember people 
laughing and talking to each other. And you could just tell like, like they felt like that person does not belong. Peter says, as a person who thinks deeply and we're deeply concerned about each other, the church should be the place where the wounded and the weary and people with all kinds of issues can feel at home because we are a compassionate people. Because I have to move on, the fifth word he uses is humble. It's a word that's really hard for people in his day that he was writing to to really resonate with because in the Roman Empire, humility was not a virtue that you exalted. You exalted self-confidence. You exalted strength. And so humility would be one of those words like, like, like it wasn't the first thing you think of. It's still the case today. When you go to look for quotes on humility, you rarely find business leaders and, uh, and, and secular thinkers using humility. Typically, you see the word used from a pastor or a theologian because it's distinctly a Christian idea because we typically overestimate ourselves and we underestimate those around us. One great preacher said humility is to make a right estimate of one's self. Humility essentially means that I acknowledge I acknowledge, even though I may be a hustler, even though I may work hard, even though I may get up early and go to bed late, I acknowledge that my existence is dependent on God. And we know this to be true. We know this to be true. Um, we read about the, the, the missionary in their late 20s with such a great passion for God who's written incredible words that have stirred the church for centuries who was sent overseas to serve God and not long after he got there, he lost his life at the hands of unbelievers. We know this to be true. Our existence is ultimately in the hands of God. Even though we may have great passion and great desires and a great work ethic, ultimately, humbly, we submit before God, I'm dependent on you. My alarm went off at 4.30 this morning. You know what I said? God, I'm dependent on you. There are five attitudes that that probably don't surprise you. I would imagine most of us in our church, many of us at some point in time, exhibit, demonstrate those attitudes. But Peter goes on, it gets a little bit harder. And and Peter says, feel this way. But then in verse 9, he says, act this way. And this is what he says in verse 9. He says, do not repay evil with evil or insult for insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. You have a calling on your life to bless people. Um, I'm, I'm wondering is, if Peter is writing this again, he's reminded of another life lesson that he learned. If you know the story, you know, in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before Jesus was crucified, the night he was ultimately taken and tried for a crime he did not commit. In the garden, the Roman soldiers come to Uh, arrest Jesus and in that moment Peter takes out a sword you remember what happened thankfully Peter was a fisherman before he came to Jesus and not a soldier because he tried to cut the guy's head off and instead he cut his ear off you remember the story I wonder if in this moment Peter is recalling as he's writing to the people who are experiencing conflict he's remembering a life lesson that he learned in the garden because Jesus said back to Peter, put your sword in its place, Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. In essence, Peter, this isn't how we fight. Peter, this isn't how we engage 
conflict. Do you think Peter had this in his mind? Quite honestly, I, I, for most of us, this is probably our tendency more times than not. Um, doesn't, it's, just, it's just kind of easy to preach, but it's also harder to live. It's happened to you before. It's happened to me before. Um, I, I, I was a pastor of a church one time that met in a comedy club, and, um, and, and while we were meeting in the comedy club, this lady came up to me. I'm engaged in a conversation with a man who's on the front row this morning, and she came up to me, and she said, uh, Pastor, I want a word with you. And like, I, she just like ripped the conversation, you know, like, like ripped it in half. And she's like, I need to talk like right now. And so she pulls me out of the patio and she proceeds to cuss me and to tell me you are the worst pastor ever. And like, she's going on. It was super impressive. It was really amazing. <laughs> she was not happy. And to this day, I don't fully understand what all she was not happy about, but she was not happy. And, and uh, it wasn't just that moment, but I found out later, like she called three different denominational offices to tell them what a bad pastor I was. And so we're on the patio and she's just like, let me have it. Just like 10 minutes before I'm she's like, ah, you're the worst pastor. These people think, like, ah, ah. and then she's walking away, I'm, you're a bad, I'm never coming back. And the only thing I could think of in my mind in that moment was, I just blurted out, I hope you come back to church next week. <laughs> But honestly, in my mind, that's really not what I was thinking. Like in my mind, I had um, like like David like like David would uh, would would speak his thoughts. And uh, in in some of the Psalms, we call them imprecatory Psalms. They were like in, in acting and calling on God for vengeance and revenge. Like like in that moment, like I said that, but that's not really what I was thinking. I, I was thinking of the imprecatory Psalms, like like Psalm ten fifteen, break the arm of the wicked man. That's what I'm thinking. Like Psalm 17, 13, rise up, O Lord, and confront them and bring them down. Like, that's what I'm thinking of in that moment. Or my favorite one, Psalm chapter 58, verse 6, break the teeth in their mouths, O God. <laughs> if you're new to the church this morning, ain't God good? <laughs> Sometimes I wonder if God hears those prayers. You're like, yeah. I'm going to pretend I just didn't hear you pray that. Like, but this is our opportunity in those moments, right? When something's happened to us, right? Like if there's no conflict in the church this morning, like if there's no people that believe differently than you, then it's just easy to go along and to get along. And love is not challenged. But love is challenged in the moment when there's conflict and tension and differences and different thoughts and different opinions, and in that moment, there's an opportunity, and what we understand from Scripture is that we really have three choices. The first choice is that we can return evil for good. Somebody does something good to you, you do something evil back to them. This, that's a godless response. It really is a godless response. That would be a response that we would say would never come from the heart of God, that would come from the heart of Satan. That is a... Um, Maybe even to go so far as to say that that almost feels like a demonic response. Somebody does something good, you return evil. Scripture says we can return evil for evil and good for good. The second response is really a human response. Like that's just natural, right? Like, like, like it's natural to do what somebody else has done for you. They're bad, you'll be bad back to them. 
In fact, by the way, in the Old Testament, Old Testament law gives us uh, um, this, this thought process that we can have an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And sometimes you're like, well, why would even God just give us that? Like, right? Because God knows our hearts. Like if, if he didn't just say an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth, like, like we'd look at it and be like, you took my eye, I'm taking two, right? Like you took my tooth, I'm going to knock your whole mouth out, right? Like, so God gives us this eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And by the way, that's the basis of justice, not only in our country, but around the world and many other countries. That's the, that's the basis for justice. That's how we conduct um, uh, many of our laws and how we enact um, laws on people who have done something wrong. That's the basis for justice. But that's not the basis for how we conduct ourselves. The world conducts themselves on the basis of justice. We conduct ourselves on the basis of mercy. That's what Jesus did for us. Not, just a minute. Not great. Grace is, is, uh, is giving us something we didn't deserve. Mercy is not giving us something that we do deserve. So the right response for us is not evil for good. It's not even evil for evil or good for good. The right response is good when evil has been done to us. That's a response that Peter says. That's what's appropriate for those of us in the church. And maybe even this week, that's the response that you've been challenged with. You know, Jesus flips the world system, like how the world reacts. He flips that whole system on its head because Jesus doesn't give us what we deserve. He gives us what we don't deserve. And that is how a Christian attracts rather than repels a watching world. You know, we're, we're not a people. We're, we're, we're not a people who are faultless this morning. A lot of people outside the church would like to look at us and throw stone, not just Story City, I'm talking about the church globally, broadly, capital C. People outside the church would like to look and throw stones and say, see, this is what you think. This is how you feel. Inside the church, we have this understanding. We are not a people without fault. We are a people who have been forgiven. And because of the very fact of how Jesus has treated us, we have a process and a system for how we treat others. I hope that challenges you this morning. I hope contextually you have a framework for how you should deal with conflict. And I want to say to you, this should be the place, this should be the, this should be the testing ground where we can not only get it right, but we can get it wrong and there still be grace. Like, if you think I'm the worst pastor in the world, God bless you, I still love you, and I want us to continue to have conversation. I don't want it to divide us. I want to hear you. I want to be sympathetic. I want to be compassionate. If somebody has a different thought and a different way of thinking than you, God bless you, and we can come together as long as it's not an essential. Sometimes, that's where we get it wrong. This is an essential. And God said, it's not an essential. That's a non-essential. This is the moment for unity. Not uniformity. You don't all have to be alike except in these essential things. Because we're a people who are not faultless. We are a people who are forgiven. May your life be a place where people can come home. May this church be a place where people can come home. I want you to bow your heads with me. The band's going to come up. We're going to sing one more song. I think the application may be very specific and obvious to those of us in this room who are believers this morning 
and understand Peter's instruction, but I want to finally speak to those of you who may have come here today, but you haven't yet come to Christ. You haven't come to Jesus to be forgiven of your sins. You've not come to the place where you come face to face with who you are before a holy God. You're imperfect, you don't measure up, you've not hit the mark, and Jesus looks at us and he doesn't condemn us in that moment. He actually demonstrates everything we've just read and then some, but God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were sinners, the scripture says, Christ died for you. This morning maybe you've come, but you've not yet come home to Jesus. You've not entered into a relationship with Him. You've not seen Him for the wonderful, beautiful person that He is and what He's done for you. And I would like to invite you into that relationship this morning. Every head bowed, every eye closed. There's nobody looking around. It doesn't matter to the right, to the left, to the front, to the back. What matters in this moment is if you maybe have been in church for a while, maybe you've come this morning. You understand that God created you, Genesis 1.1. God loves you, John 3.16. There's a problem between you and God as you currently stand, Romans 3.23. It's called sin. The result of that sin, if there's never a solution to it, Romans 6.23, is death both in this life and the next separated from God. But God in His wonderful, awesome, glorious love for us demonstrated to us His love toward us on the cross when He died for you. That if you would confess with your mouth, Romans 10, 9 and 10, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, turn from your sin, surrender your life to him. We call it repentance. Follow Jesus the rest of the days of your life. John 1, 12 says he gives the right to become a child of God. I believe that's for people in this room this morning. That's you. You've never committed your life to Jesus, trusted Jesus for your salvation this morning. I'm not going to embarrass you, make you stand on the stage, do anything you don't want to do, say anything you don't want to say. I just simply want to have a moment as we sing this last song where you acknowledge who you are before God and what He's done for you. And you have a conversation with Him and say, God, I desire for you. I'm going to trust my life to you and I desire to transform my life and to make it new. I turn from my sin and walk with you the rest of the days of my life. If that's your desire, will you do something for me this morning? This is... Just a few seconds, we're going to stand up and sing. Just, would you do something for me? If that's your desire this morning, you do me a favor. I'm not going to embarrass you. You don't have to come up on stage. I'm not going to make you come down front. Would you just do me a favor? Would you hold your hand up real high? Anybody in this auditorium? Nobody looking around. Anybody? Is that for anybody in this room today? Praise God. Praise God. Anybody else this morning? Praise God. Praise God. If that was you this morning, can I ask you to do something? If you just raised your hand and then we're done. As soon as we go out, there's a connect table. I'd love for you to stop by there and let the person at the connect table know, I, I just prayed with Pastor Matt this morning. They're not gonna embarrass you. They're gonna high five you, praise God. Just, we just want you to fill something out and here's why. Because we wanna follow up with you and we wanna help you begin this journey with Jesus. We believe it's not a solo flight, it's a community journey and we walk together. If that was you this morning, would you do that for me? I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to sing. Jesus, you're so good. You're compassionate. You're sympathetic. God, you instruct us to be like-minded. God, I'm grateful that you don't just tell us what to do. God, you've demonstrated it yourself. 
Jesus, I thank you that only by the power of the Spirit of the living God have we been saved inside of us, you give us the ability to move in that direction, to be like you, Jesus, one day ultimately becoming like you fully. Thank you for your scripture this morning. May we be a church. May we be a people where people can come home.